We're going to be talking both about the Holy Spirit today, more than what I talked about last week, and we're going to tie that also to our, our mandate to make disciples. But let me just take you back from last week. We're on a series, if you're just joining us, called Therefore. And last week, we connected the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, or what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to the second coming of Christ. In Romans 8, 23, the Apostle Paul used a term about our present experience in the Holy Spirit. He used a a Jewish festival term called, we have have tasted of the the first fruits. And the first fruits was... uh, was, uh, was the beginning of the gathering of the harvest that they, in the initial of the gathering that they offered on the day of first fruits and thanksgiving to God for the harvest that was to come. It pointed to a greater harvest that was to come. The Holy Spirit's been given to us, pointing us to a greater experience that we're going to experience when, when uh, we see Jesus coming again a second time and we see a new kingdom and a new heaven coming to earth. So we're foretasting that. I like the way it's said in the New Living Translation in Romans 8, 23. It says this. Man, my glasses are really good. Here we go. Someone took my preaching Bible out of my community group. If you're in my community group and you accidentally stole my Bible, please, please bring it back <laughs> to me. Thank you. And, and even we Christians, this is Romans 8, 23, this New Living Translation, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. So we're tasting some really cool stuff, but it's a foretaste of even greater glory that is, that is coming. Also grown to be released from pain and suffering. How many people have ever said, Lord, deliver me from pain and suffering? Okay, we, 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 we also groan in that. We, too, wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. I like the way the New Living Translation, even the new bodies he has promised us. So when you sense the presence of God, like I believe we had a great day in the house of God in worship, would you, would you agree with me on that? We used to have a saying, Jesus is in the house. He's, he's in the house by the person of the Holy Spirit. When you sense that or, or, or when you um, hear his voice or you just become broken in worship and prayer, and just something's just working in your heart or you're reading your Bible at a coffee shop or in your kitchen or your bedroom, where you're reading it, and just your eyes are opened up to a truth. I've never seen that before. And I am strengthened. When, you, when you're going through all that, you're, you're, you're foretasting, you're, you're experiencing glory, but there's more glory that's coming. More glory that's coming. But you're, you're experiencing and you're encountering heaven. You know, Ben and six other youth groups this last, was it last Wednesday? Last Wednesday, went to Prairie High School, used the auditorium, had kind of a, an, an all-youth group outreach, and, and kids got saved, right? Kids got saved. One girl got, got saved. I think she came down from Woodland with the group. <clears throat> she was a, a professed atheist, and she gave her, her, her life to Christ in this meeting, and she had glasses that she could not see without. But when she gave her life with, to Christ, and she didn't have anybody praying with her, she couldn't see out of her glasses. So she got saved and healed at the same time. She had to take her glasses off to see. Come on. She, she tasted heaven. She encountered heaven. Heaven came and, and transformed her. 
You're saying, Bob, you're, you're really going after this stuff. I am going after it with great tenacity. You're really going after it like, man, we should kind of get a little bit more heavenly minded. You're, you're learning. Absolutely, that's where I'm at. My, my goal in this series is to do this, is to connect in your thinking the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life to the establishment of the kingdom of God to the ultimate return of Jesus in his final victory. I want you to connect all three things. Connect all those things. I want to start by talking about a concept. The concept is this, the kingdom now but not yet. Now, the Apostle Paul, and you say, man, you quote Apostle Paul a lot. Paul's my man, okay? Paul's my man. I mean, he was a radical Jew, studied under one of the greatest teachers of his day, Gamaliel. He was a Jew of Jew. His pedigree was off the chart. He was, when it came to being a Jew, he was like the Jew of Jews. And he was really convicted about his life and Jesus. And so sometimes when you're convicted, you really attack God's people. So when someone's persecuting you, rejoice because they're getting close to getting saved. We see the, oh, that guy's demonized. The whole Chi Alpha group on Central Washington's campus was an intercessory prayer against me. So I'm one of those guys. When I became a Christian, it took me a year to convince them I actually was a Christian. Are you sure? I was so tired of hearing, are you sure? Are you, did, what, tell, tell me about what you did. They wouldn't believe me. Now to us, oh, he raised his hand. I hugged him with me. I had to convince him for a year I was a Christian. But Paul, in that revelation, wrote one half of the New Testament. He encountered Jesus after his resurrection. Jesus appeared to him. He actually went to heaven one time. The apostles received him and received the testimony of his revelation, the ones who actually walked with Jesus. So Paul, when he's writing the church, he's establishing theology in the church. He talks to us of two ages. I want to take you to the first age, Galatians. Turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 4. I'm going to make you work a little bit today. I'm not going to take you through tons of scriptures, just two or three, just, but I'm going to make you look things up a little bit. Galatians, that's why you bring a Bible to church, or at least a smartphone. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul talks about the first age here. He says, who gave himself, talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Deliver us from this present evil age. So so let's talk about this present evil age. It's It's the present age in which we live in. Come on, you don't need to even know me think or debate that there's evil around us. Horrible, senseless shootings as we witnessed last Sunday night in, in Las Vegas and, 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 and terrorism and the earth convulsing and, and crime and, and just families breaking up and people in bondage destroying their life. There's, there's, just, there's just evil all around us. We, you encounter more evil than you even realize. Do you know that there's over 20,000 people a year murdered in the United States? Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that's combat. When other nations, and I go to a lot of nations, they think we're just like killing each other all day. We live around evil. They live around evil. It's not that they're any better. They live around evil. I mean, it was a present evil age. And 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 then he talks about another age. 
I want you to turn the book of Hebrews, if you would. The book of Hebrews chapter 6. And, of course, Hebrews 6 is the great chapter of, of someone who was walking with God that walked away from God in the great debate. If you get saved, can you get unsaved? I'm not going to get into that, but what I love about Hebrews 6 is, is that it really describes a conversion experience of the first century church. I love what it describes as when they gave their life to Jesus, what actually happened to them. I want you to look at this in, in Hebrews 6, verse 4. Paul said, for it's impossible for those who were once enlightened. That means they had the lights turned on. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And they've tasted the heavenly gift. I believe that heavenly gift is, is absolutely the forgiveness of sins. And have become partakers or sharers of the Holy Spirit. They, they knew what it was to be touched by the Holy Ghost in their life. And they've tasted the good word of God. Come on. They know what it is to experience transformation by the Bible. And notice this. They have tasted the powers of the age to come. Now, what is the age to come? We have the present evil age, and we got the age to come. The age to come is Christ's final trump triumph over all evil when he returns and he establishes a new heaven and a new earth. We're living right now. We are actually... We're, we are in a time of overlap between the world that is evil and the coming and the establishment of the kingdom of God and the ultimate establishment of heaven on earth that's going to come at the return of Jesus. And we're living in the tension of that overlap. Now, I, uh, you know, I have uh, been deeply, deeply touched. By, by a theologian by the name of George Eldon Ladd. And, and, and uh, you may read some of his books. I think his books are written so anybody can read them and, and really grasp them. One of his famous books, A Theology of the New Testament, has been noted by scholars as the most influential book in the last 500 years, second only to Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion. So this is a great scholar. This is what, this is what George Eldon Ladd said. He said, therefore, that the, excuse me, there are a number of explicit statements in the New Testament as well as the basic structure of the New Testament as a whole, which compel us to conclude the blessings of the age to come remain no longer exclusively in the future, but have become objects of present experience in this age. While we still live in the, the powers of the age to come, we heard about it today. We've experienced it today. Now, a taste is not a seven-course banquet. We still look forward to the glorious consummation and fulfillment of that which we have only tasted. Yet, a taste is real. It is more than promise. It is realization. It is experience. Now, this is why this is so important to me pastorally. Because, because I see two extremes, two extremes that I want the people that I pastor not to get involved in. The problem with extremes is extremes lead to destruction. Extremes lead to lifelessness. Extremes lead to bondage. Extremes even lead to people walking away from the faith. And so pastorally, I get concerned. Well, what are those things? two 
extremes. I'm calling these two extremes this. One extreme is, the, is, is this, the kingdom is completely now versus another extreme, the kingdom is completely future. Now let me just talk about completely now. In other words, the thought that all that belongs in the future is mine now. It is yours by faith and guarantee and promise, yes. But are you fully experiencing everything in the future now? Now here's the problem I have with an extreme position like that. What happens is people get wounded faith. They get wounded faith when they experience contradictions. When, when they experience things that they think they're supposed to have now that are really belong to the future, they don't know what to do with their faith. And I've watched them lose their faith. Maybe I have the faith in complete sanctification now, that I'm going to be completely perfected now before Jesus comes. And the problem is you can confess that and state that, but everyone gets to live with you with your imperfections. And the problem is when all of a sudden you see remaining sin in you or some subtle thing or something come out of you or some temptation come upon you, you don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to relate to God in it. You draw away from the presence of God. You become shocked. You, you throw in the towel. You get discouraged because... Because I'm not completely sanctified. I, I mean, I still got some issues. How many people have noticed that you might have some issues still that you're working through? <laughs> or, you know, I have, I have constant wealth now. I've known people who are very wealthy now who almost went to homelessness. It wasn't constant. I know great businesses that are represented here that went through Hell and back. It wasn't always a cakewalk. I wish it was always I tithe and everything works out good in my life. That's why you've never heard me do a tit for tat with you. You give and this is going to happen to you. What I say, you give and two puppy dogs will follow you. Goodness and mercy. In God's timing, God's season, God's ways. But what happens to people when I think that, or I have, I'm going to have perfect health in this life. Well, I believe in healing, obviously, I believe the stripes of Jesus opened up the provision of heaven. But you know what? We're still eagerly waiting for those new bodies I was talking about. Yeah. I got too many friends who are my age with bionic knees, bionic hips, bionic noses, bionic this. I mean, we're working hard, all of us, to try not to die. But it's just happening. I don't even like to look in the mirror anymore. It's kind of like, It's happening. It's happening. I mean, Chris Ziegler, he got me a new passport I had to get because mine was all chopped up and I actually washed it. I'm this tall, this weight, this, this. She had to get me a new one. And, and usually they say, you know, I'm this tall, this weight, this, this stuff, and I have brown hair. She put gray. She put gray. I said, Chris, I'm not gray. Bob, you're gray. I am not gray. I'm going to walk right through that airport, won't even get through customs because you said my hair, your hair is gray, Bob. You're gray. You're more gray than you are brown. Terrible. Who hired you? Who hired you? And so when we face all these things, I find that Christians, when they all of a sudden hit a contradiction, they prayed for a number of people, and they've miraculously thrived and got healed. And when somebody dies, I watched it where they can't pray for months. 
mean, there are contradictory scriptures in the New Testament. Paul says, I left Trophimus and the island of Miletus sick. Now, this is the same apostle Paul when the island of Malta prayed for every sick person. They were all healed. But all of a sudden, Trophimus, the, the member of his team, sorry, bro, I, you know, you're my main man, but you're laying here sick. I can't help you. We know that Epaphroditus recovered, but he didn't recover quickly. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. I mean, everyone's got their guess. I think God kept it mysterious so we could all identify with this thorn. I mean, there's just, there just things that took place. Even Jesus went into a village and not everyone got healed because of their attitude. And so sometimes we face contradictions in life. And what happens if you don't have good theology, you throw in the towel. I remember... Pastor Frank was telling me that he was under the ministry of Leonard Fox, and they, this lady got healed at a, at a Catherine Coleman meeting. And it was miraculous, and the church was celebrating. And then like two months later, she died. Frank, you know, a young youth pastor, walks into Leonard Fox's office. He says, what happened? What happened? And Leonard Fox said, she died. Frank's Young's faith was having a hard time finding the contradiction. Leonard Fox has just been through one battle after another, knew how to plow forward. So what do you do? You pray for the next person. What do you do? You just keep on going. I want tough people. I want people that no matter what happens, what contradiction, what setback, I'm not going to get beaten up. I'm going to crush his head, and I might have a sore heel from demon crushing. In other words, there might be some biting back, but... I'm doggone and I'm going to crush another head. The other extreme is this. It's completely in the future. That's why I like this quote from Ladd who says, a taste is a taste, but a taste is real and a taste is experience. And everything's all in the future. All that God promised in the future. I, I live my Christian life with no power, with no heavenly intervention, with no intimacy with God. I'll never forget, I was in a pastor's meeting. And they just said, pray for the pastor next year. I've never met this guy before. He introduced his name. So I just prayed for him. And I prayed, Father, I just prayed for, well, I forget, we'll call him George, George. And I felt really strongly that, Lord, he's wanting to open his church up to the Holy Spirit. He's facing a lot of resistance. Give him courage to, to, to prevail through. He prayed for me, Father, may your will be done in his life. And so I talked with him. I said, you know, it was a real prophetic prayer. And he came from, I won't mention the denomination, but a denomination that is traditionally known for cessationism, that these things are gone. He had never been used to praying prophetically. But he, he was. He was trying to introduce the Holy Spirit to his church, and he was facing a lot of kickback. What happens when I don't think everything's in the future, I lose the voice of God. I lose the prophetic. I lose God coming close to me and speaking to me. And, and uh, I sign my board. And I'm just kind of, there's no Holy Spirit transformation. You know, I... I signed my born-again card back in 1976, and by golly, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but there's no transformation. There's no, he's dealing with me, changing me, making me more like Jesus, pointing something out, you know, making me more hungry for him. Come on, we're believing in transformation, amen? So I'm slugging it out in the trenches until Jesus comes in my own power. We don't want that. That's not what we're looking for. Kevin Connor says this, a church or a people or a person is only as powerful as one believes. One is only as powerful as one believes. You don't believe that God is a, is a healer, you won't experience healing. 
You don't believe God wants to baptize people in the Holy Spirit? You'll never experience it. I've led people to baptism in the Holy Spirit. They've manifested spiritual language and all sorts of things, and they've stopped and looked at me and says, I do not believe what I'm doing right now. <laughs> you don't believe what you're doing right now. You're doing it. It's too late. Well, we want to believe, amen? We want to see the glory of God. Now, the Holy Spirit, and this is what we've taught, brings the presence and the guarantee of the future age to us now. And not only the creation, even we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We get brand new bodies. I love what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were marked with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You got a guarantee of your future, of your future eternal life, a guarantee of your future new body, a future of your resurrection, a future of a new heaven, a new earth. It's called the Holy Spirit in you. You've been marked. Say to the person next to you, you've been marked. You're marked. You got a mark on you. Oh, how do you know? You've been marked. Every time you just sense the presence of God, every time you're convicted of sin, every time you may pray in your prayer language, every time you just kind of have a Holy Spirit moment, no, that's my guarantee. I got a future. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. You got a future. You got a future. Now, I want us to become strong in our identity as a church, as a people, that we are experiencing heaven now. We're marked by the Holy Spirit. Come on, we're people who rest because we have a guarantee of our future. We're winning now, and we win in the future. Now, the Holy Spirit makes us heaven-bound people. What does that mean, Bob? Heaven-bound people. Heaven-bound. Come on, we love people, but we love Jesus more. We love life, but we look forward to our future life more. We enjoy things, but can be happy without them. We need money, but do not trust it. We engage the world around us, but not as an end in itself, but as a means to share with them the Savior Jesus. We live sacrificial lives because nothing matters as much as eternity. Money doesn't matter as much. Pleasure doesn't matter as much. Fame doesn't matter as much. Fitness doesn't matter as much. Power doesn't matter as much. Beauty doesn't matter as much. They all pale when when contrasted with eternity. That's a heaven-bound people. I just did some calculations yesterday. Please, I'm not even asking you to do this. But let's just say we went super radical. Let's just say, you know, it's just like that last leg of that, you know, that quarter mile. I'm bur- turn on the bu- burners, and I'm going to burn to the finish line. What happens if everybody in this church all of a sudden say, you know what? I'm going to be a 20 percenter. I'm going to give God 20% of my money. I'm not asking you to do that. But just I'm going to be a radical giver. I'm not just going to give God one apple out of 10. I'm going to give him two apples out of 10. I'm going to give God 20 hours a week in prayer, Bible reading, maybe service in the church, help to reach out to somebody, meet with somebody, try to help them move forward in a relationship with God. I'm just going to give God my 20%. I took the number of people in our church, what we have as giving units, and we would have three times as much money. I guarantee you, we'd have three times as much people, many people getting saved, three times as much miracles and intensity of the spirits of God, because we made more space for God to move in our life. We would do three times more than that Global Impact Board 
It would go off the chart. Now, that's super ideal. That wouldn't happen because that's a very sacrificial thing I've asked you to do there. I'm not asking. I'm just dreaming what could be if the world didn't mean that much to me. It's not, Lord, how much do you want from me? (laughs) How much do you want of my stuff? It's more like, Lord, how much can I keep of my stuff? Lord, how much do you want my time? It's your time. So, Lord, what am I... What time can you give me to myself? And I believe in family time and personal time. I believe in all these things. But man, there's a, there's a heaven focus that needs to grab us because we're heaven-bound people. And if you have a view that there is an eternity and it's a long time, your 70 to 90 years on planet Earth ain't much. 96 years old, Lane died. 96 years old, died in pneumonia. I remember watching him in those jumpsuits when I was a kid with this big white dog. <laughs> he died. When he was 70 years old, he swam two miles in the San Francisco Bay pulling 14 boats. But he died. So I don't care what your thing is, this life compared to eternity pales. And we have a purpose we're called to. Now, as heaven-bound people, we have a purpose. And here's the purpose, and we're just going to drive this home, to penetrate the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of darkness. That pizza man who gave his life to Jesus, come on, the enemy was destroying his life. Come on, Ben penetrated darkness by introducing him to Jesus and the reality of that. That young lady gave her life to Jesus. All of a sudden she could see through her glasses. God penetrated darkness to open her up. So God wants to penetrate darkness, wants to destroy the works of darkness. Jesus said, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come among you. What did Jesus do? He came to confront satanic activity. The second thing heaven-bound people are called to do, the Holy Spirit's not just for us. The Holy Spirit's just enough for us hanging out in the garden, have a good little meeting. How was it? Oh, the glory of God was there. Man, we're playing the guitar. We're just laying on the floor. We heard the presence of God. Great. What does it turn into? If it doesn't turn into what I'm talking about, it's wasted power. And that is to declare the gospel. You know, Matthew 4.23 says this, and he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus taught, proclaimed the gospel, and he healed disease. That was the three parts of his ministry. He went in and declared the good news. He said in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He said that in relationship to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come on down. I must have a meal with you today. I must eat at your house. Come on, that's my mission. My mission is to go after people. You know, signs and wonders opens their heart. It doesn't save them. I'm going to say there's a lot of people that Jesus healed that may not go to heaven. He said it. He says, woe unto Bethesda. Woe unto this village and that village. Because if the miracles were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were done in you, they would have repented. And you haven't repented. So there are people that Jesus showed kindness to. And healed them that didn't respond to him. 
So what healing does and a miracle does and a word of knowledge does, it opens them up to become God conscious. So we can declare to them the Savior. The third thing is we make disciples. Jesus said, go into all the world, not just declare the gospel, not just to heal the sick, but you make disciples. Come on. He says, teach them to be obedient in everything I've commanded them to do. We've got to sit down with people and help them understand the Bible, what Jesus' will is. We've got to work with them on their issues in their life. We've got to walk with them. I mean, you say, well, I, I want Jesus. I don't want these people with problems in my life. Well, Jesus wants you to get involved with people with problems. The harvest is messy. You know, no one comes to Jesus, rich or poor, mighty or weak, whose lives are not messed up in some way. Everybody raise their hand except Jesus have got issues. And everybody raise their hand to say, I want Jesus past people that don't enjoy being around them. And when they get saved, you get to be around them. And you know, after a while, why those people don't like being around them. But you love them because God loves them. You bring them to, to maturity. We all got to get messy with the harvest. We all got to get messy with people and making disciples. So this is what Jesus meant when he said, engage in business until I come. You know, he said this right before he's going into Jerusalem. He was leaving from Jericho into Jerusalem. The reason he said it is because people thought when he got to Jerusalem, the kingdom of God would completely arrive. And he knew that. And he gave the parable of the ten minas. And he says, a man went away and he gave, he gave minas to three different men and said, invest and do business until I come. He's going to come. And he's given us the Holy Spirit as assurance that he's going to come. And he wants us with that Holy Spirit to penetrate darkness here in the nations of the earth. He wants us to declare the good news of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead and the great news of his second coming in a future age. And he wants us to make disciples of people who will follow him in his word. The question that we have to ask ourselves is this, where in my life am I too attached to this world? And where do I need to make more room for God? Make more room for his presence and make more room for his purpose. Would you stand with me?